You're going to learn about the complicated world of product planning. This is AutoLine. If you ran a car company, what kinds of cars would you start planning on right now to come out with in the future? Would you come out with hybrids, or diesels, or flex fuels, or fuel cells? Or would you do all of them? But could you afford to do all of them? Or would you have to prioritize your choices? And if you did have to prioritize them, which ones would you go with first? Well, that's what today's show is all about. The multitude of choices that automakers have to consider as they run through the product planning process. And they have to plan out at least a minimum of five years, but who knows what's going to happen in the future? That's why I've invited two product planners on AutoLine today. John Smith is the group vice president in charge of global product planning for General Motors. Larry Dominique is the vice president of product planning for Nissan North America. So sit tight. You're going to learn a lot about the kinds of vehicles they plan to bring out in the future coming right up on AutoLine. From our studios in the Motor City, this is AutoLine. Here now is John McElroy. Welcome to our discussion now with two great product planners, John Smith, the Group Vice President of Global Product Planning for General Motors, and Larry Dominique, the Vice President of Product Planning for Nissan North America. Great to have you both here at AutoLine. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Well, let's jump right into it. John, let me start with you. Uh, $4 a gallon. You know what I hear from people all the time? Why didn't the car company see this coming? So uh, I'll start with John, but I'll ask you both. Why didn't you see this coming? <laughs> you know, I've asked, I've asked several of my people on multiple occasions. The one person, anybody in my group who's got a piece of paper where they wrote down four months ago that they would say today, uh, gas, oil and gas prices would be what they are, it's signed and notarized, please bring it forward. I haven't found a single person either inside our company or outside of our company who would have predicted where we are right now. And uh, I, to be honest, it is what it is. Uh, I don't know how long it's gonna last as quickly as it's changed this way. I think those of us in the planning community have to anticipate it might as well change back. But people uh, oftentimes forget, I think, just how long the lead times are in our business, first and foremost. I mean, basically it's four years start to finish uh, to conceive a new car. So. What maybe matters more, I think, for any OE is, is to have, at all times, if at all possible, you know, a portfolio that allows them to flexibly respond, that they've got small cars, they've got big cars. And we'll, we'll get into that, too. But and I think that's, that's certainly the case in our... Four bucks a gallon, you didn't see this coming, did you? No, to, to John's point, uh, no one six months ago would have anticipated this. You know, it's interesting, we, we've gone back and looked at all the data about peak oil, oil trends. All we've known is for the last 15 years, oil as a percentage of household income or gas as a percentage of household income has been very low, almost record levels of low. So certainly this change and this rapid demand in, in the emerging countries. But did you guys buy into this peak oil theory that, you know, the, the, the theory itself said around 2012 we'd be in a mess, not right now. Or uh, For us, really, so many different experts, no matter who you talk to, you got a different answer. You know, some say 10 years from now, 20 years from now, some said five years ago. So, you know, it comes down to who do you believe? Mm. I'd like to just piggyback on that. 40 years ago, we said we're going to run out of oil in 40 years. 40 years later, we're saying we're going to run out of oil in 40 years. So and what's ha what always happens in between is that some combination of new, uh, of new reserves that are found, some combination of, of conservation 
and, and other, uh, it's the whole sum total of these technologies. That's sort of the human spirit at work. I honestly, personally don't believe $4 is here to stay because I do think there's some speculation in the oil price. But, you know, I think we have to do our business as if, in a worst case, it is here to stay and plan accordingly. So you think it's coming down? I think, well, personally, I think it should come down. <laughs> Uh, but well, I think, we all we're with you on that one, John. I there's a and there's I think there's lots of evidence that there's plenty of reserves that are not even being explored. Uh, there's other areas that can be explored that will produce additional reserves. It's not to say that we can, as to use somebody else's metaphor, only drill our way out of this. I mean, we will always we will always approach the problem with some mix of conservation and exploration. And certainly, the car companies have something to do in terms of making their vehicles more efficient as well. And I think we've been doing that collectively for the better part of 40 or 50 years now. Yeah, and j just to add a little bit to that, you know, whether oil prices come down or not, some of the trends globally we're seeing is a rapid growth of emerging markets, excessive demand for energy. Um, I read a statistic that China's bringing somewhere near about 500 coal-burning uh, power plants online in the next 10 years. Mm -hmm. So from our standpoint, you know, to, to stand back and hope that oil's gonna come down is not the prudent way to go forward. You know, we think we certainly have to look at the future uh, under a worst case scenario. Okay, what so if, what are you guys planning for? Where do you think oil might go in terms of going up? You know, we certainly want to protect ourselves for, for you know, gasoline that could double in price from where it is today. You're talking eight bucks a gallon could in the be. U.S. Are you guys looking at it that high too, John? Uh, we, we think about it in terms of, of oil price primarily, but I would say we've, we've been looking at a range of, of steady state oil prices anywhere between 100 at the low end and $200 at the high end. Wow, unbelievable. And it does, it creates very different, uh, at least on paper, it creates very different uh, industry sizes mm -hmm. and industry mixes. And that creates, uh, probably drives you to think about flexible portfolios more than anything else because you just don't know. Yeah, Cindy, on the manufacturing side, you got to have the flexible manufacturing to accommodate that change, rapid change in mix. So with your current plans right now, do you just rip them up or are you locked into them? How do you adjust or do you well, I wouldn't say that I'm, I wouldn't say that we're ripping up anything. Rick at our annual meeting, for example, talked about whether, whether we guessed right or, or not, you know, we have, say in the United States, in the next 19 new vehicle launches, 18 having to be cars and crossovers, which seems to be, based on the behavior of the last six months, mm -hmm. what the market wants. But I think if, if you are a full-scale manufacturer like we are, and certainly Nissan uh, and Infiniti combined can be seen exactly the same way, I mean, you're already invested across, for the most part, across the entire spectrum of choices that would be favored at $100 oil or 200 The question is how quickly can you dial up and dial down capacity? And of course, for all of them, based on a regulatory thrust, whether it's CAFE or CO2 in Europe or CO2 in California, I mean, almost in every one of those regulatory regimes, everything has to get better over time, whether it's small or large. And I mention that because a lot of people say, well, why don't you just bring your European portfolio over here? So because the way the rules are configured, small things here have a bigger number to achieve. I could bring over the European portfolio, it still doesn't comply with Reform Cafe. Amazing. Exactly. And, to, and, and to add to that, you know, what that, what that adds to this level of, of difficulty is everyone knows today small cars tend to not make as much profit on a marginal basis as larger vehicles. So as your mix changes, your revenue still wants to grow, your profit still wants to grow. So how we can make our smaller vehicles more um, profitable, 
uh, man managing our costs a little bit better. So when we're m mixing that portfolio around, that we're still maintaining a very high level of profitability across the portfolio. It's going to be hard to do with the, with the regulatory changes that are coming. Well, not only regulatory changes, but as you guys know better than I, the cost of the raw materials needed to make a car are skyrocketing, not just going up, but absolutely yes. skyrocketing. That's, that, that's going up, but I mean, they pale by comparison with the pro forma regulatory costs related to either crash or fuel economy. Mm. That those, those are 10 times, in our view, what the current run-up in, in material costs have been. And to the consumer, the, the other difference is the oil price is visible to the consumer. All of the costs that John just mentioned are not so visible to the consumer, whether it's NHTSA-based stuff or whether it's uh, uh, IHS-based regulatory changes or changes. It's adding a lot of cost, a lot of mass yep. to the vehicles, which is exactly opposite of where our goal is to try to improve fuel economy. What's going to happen with the full-size pickup market? Uh, well, we probably, that, that's a big question for us. Uh, and it's an important question. We spend a lot of time uh, thinking about it. As we look at $100 versus $200 oil, you know, we see very different uh, segment sizes for that business. But um, to be honest, the full-size pickup owner is, 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 uh, is uh, typically plays back to us, their intention to buy another full-size pickup. But that's and, the work guys, well, right, who really need a truck to work. I would say you could split it between personal use and commercial use, but you've got to cut it even more finely than that because inside the personal use is a range, is a range of users. There are people who I think are truly personal use folks who have found our crew cabs because we've made those so comfortable and so refined. Interesting alternatives to the, say, the family sedans and, and vans they used to have. Those po folks can and probably will leave in large numbers. But also inside the personal use are a lot of people who use their boat, to, uh, their, their, their trucks, to support a lot of avocations. I mean, they may be towing airstreams or horse trailers or boats. Uh, uh, who knows? But so as, as sort of we look at it, um, unlike, say, full-size utilities, which we think in the advent of, of sustained 4 to $5 oil gasoline prices, there's a market that's probably going to come down rather significantly. But even when a high, go a high gas price environment, we're not so sure that the, the, there'll be as dramatic a fall off in full-size pickups because of both the vocational and avocational uh, uh, needs that those products provide. You see it the same way, Larry? Very similar to what John just said. If, if you take a look back at the full-size truck market from 1990 to 2005, it basically doubled from about a little over a million to over two million a year. Most of that growth was in these, um, the, what I'll call the playful side of trucks. These guys didn't need trucks, they wanted trucks. The urban cowboys, or cow gals, I call them, right? But what you saw during the same period of time is all of us have taken our light duty trucks and made them almost heavy duty trucks. We look at GVWs, GCWs, payloads, power and performance. These trucks have gotten stronger and bigger and stronger and bigger. So now the overlap between your, your 2500 series trucks and your 15 are, is almost complete. Hmm including price. So I think in addition to support what John said, as it goes back to kind of the core needs of the full-size truck segment, I think you could see some ability to bring the trucks down in mass, in payload, in, in, in improved fuel economy, because those contractors from 1990 still have about the same needs. You know, so I think there's still some good opportunity. We still think there's a good opportunity in this segment, but it's got to be the right product. There's no question, you know, Reform Cafe, I mentioned earlier, Reform Cafe, California CO2, no matter what footprint the product is, they all have to get better. That's just the way the regulatory regimes in fuel economy work. So uh, uh, to the point made here, even full-size pickups, even though I may think there'll be a demand for them, they have they have to get better, you know, for right. us they have as to a get better, to but, comply but how overall. big is the segment end up? Do, do we go back to a million units like we, we were back then? We think it'll be bigger than that. Uh, we too. How, how much bigger, roughly? Mm. I'm not trying to pin down, but... 
it could now, what, I'm trying to get a, six months ago I would have given you a different answer than today okay and, and six, six months, months from now I might give you a different <laughs> okay. answer yeah and, and you guys are doing something with Chrysler for your full-size pickups yes. is that right well, fill us in a bit on um, it. what we've basically done is, is is we've looked at our manufacturing footprint and, uh, and our sales footprint um, obviously with Titan we weren't able to achieve the level of penetration we'd hope to achieve but what we've decided to do with, with our announcement for light commercial vehicles coming to the United States, uh, we're going to be converting Canton, Mississippi, primarily into a light commercial truck uh, plant. Uh, with some of the discussions with, with Chrysler on a global basis, we found an opportunity um, to work on a, on, a, on a kind of a vehicle share basis. So they're going to be developing, based on a Nissan design, uh, the next generation truck. So they'll be building it in Mexico for us mm -hmm. um, in their plant, um, similar to the relationship we had with Ford years ago with the Quest Villager. Mm -hmm. You guys aren't looking on doing anything sharing full truck wise, are you? Well, we we have quite a bit of volume to say grace over all by our lonesome, <laughs> so uh, which is a nice problem for us to have. What about full size SUVs? Well, that's as I mentioned. I think that's a different uh, kettle of fish. Uh, that has been largely. It's not to say there aren't people uh, who have an everyday need for a, a product of that type. They might have an, a, a big family, and everyone's travel a travel hockey player for all, and they really make good use of of the three rows and. And, and all the spaces provided, and some of these folks also tow boats up to their cabins, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not going to go away totally. You know, but by the same token, I think in this segment, there have been many more people who are in there strictly for, you know, for playful uses, if you will. It's been an image product, no question about it. And for that reason, I think that segment, there are lots of other interesting image products that are coined every day for people who have been full-sized utility owners to go to, and they will go, I think, in greater numbers than will be true with full-size pickup. Exactly. I, I'd agree completely. We, when we look at the real needs, as John said, there's a core group of people that have large families, large recreational needs. They tow. They have big families. Those people, that's what they want. I mean, Armada owners have told us, I love what the capability is. Mm -hmm. But the people who bought it that didn't really need it, um, a nice three-row crossover would be just fine for them. Mm -hmm. They don't tow 8,000 pounds. They tow 3,000 pounds. We've kind of had some of that experience already with... Uh, with uh, Things like Enclave mm -hmm. and, uh, and Acadia and soon Traverse, we're finding as we see what people are trading out of, there are numbers of both mid and large conventional utilities, conventional meaning framed utilities, who you know, find in that most of what they, they, they sought before uh, in a somewhat smaller package and measurably improved fuel economy, and they seem to be quite happy with it. Is there a magic number for full-size SUVs that if you hit a, a certain fuel economy number, people would say, yeah, I'm staying with this? Uh, 50, maybe. <laughs> 50? <laughs> but I've, so I'm thinking about how you get there. I mean, in, well, in, our, case, there, in our case, it would have to be like a two-mode hybrid diesel, and I think, okay. what would the price of that be? Right. Well, I just drove uh, the Mercedes Bluetech diesel, 50 state. I was in a, a GL, admittedly under the most ideal driving conditions possible, a steady 50 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. We were in Vermont. They chose it there. There's barely any traffic and few traffic lights. I was getting 26, 27 mm -hmm. miles to the gallon in pretty big, heavy SUV, and I thought, wow. Uh, now, I'm sure in normal driving back here, it would drop off quite a bit, but uh, that's why I'm asking, is there a magic number like with a diesel that you can get to that well, people go, yeah, I'm staying in this big well, SUV? We're running an experiment, I guess, if you will, right now with the Tahoe and Yukon hybrids, because they basically provide a 20, 25% boost in fuel economy, or said differently, 24, 25 miles per gallon in a three-row vehicle that, obviously, that can do a lot of things. Now, depending depending what comparison you choose to make, I mean, you can find... And I, I, you, I drove you, when I got 19, and that wasn't, I I'm didn't think have, that was I'm enough gonna, of I'm, a magic number. I'm going to have to teach how to drive it. Uh, 
But the point, <laughs> but the point is, the, the point is, we're running some experiments right now to see if technology of that type, which is not inexpensive, uh, what that does in terms of retaining full-size utility owners, and and frankly, we'll know and over the course of the next year or so, uh, the extent to which that's an attractive solution for folks who want something that large, if that's enough to keep them in. And, and one of the things I think is important for us to consider is people are used to spending a certain percentage of their disposable income on their vehicle purchases, on their gas purchases, going out to dinner, whatever it might be. The world's getting more expensive everywhere where you turn, food prices, energy prices. So to answer your question, John, I think we need to get to a powertrain solution or a fuel economy solution which would get consumers to believe that what they're spending on that vehicle, meaning the absolute purchase price, the operational cost, is within a reasonable band, you know, because you get too far beyond that. If I've got to give up going out to P.F. Chang's on Saturday or I can't, can't take my vacation, you know, that, we'll that may have an influence we'll choose on their choices. Let's go to the other end of the market then, small cars. How small a car would the typical family accept? Uh, well, it sort of differs by market. And I, 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 don't, we're talking I don't mean about a commuter market. car that you just, I'm talking about the car for the family, as it were. Well, I, I think we, uh, our experience, your experience too. I mean, in Europe, families in Europe are well satisfied with vehicles uh, of the size of, I'll pick a, a GM comparison, uh, Malibu, perhaps even Cobalt. I mean, they're... Yeah, Malibu Mal would be a big car. Malibu's are actually a, a large car there and still a somewhat small car here, although I think that's beginning to change. Mm -hmm. And actually, I, I, as I think more, and there will be more, really excellently well-developed compact cars, next-generation Cobalts, the things on your side well, of the ledger. Let me ledger. hold you on that. The, the Chevy Cruze that you guys just talked about. Fill yes. us in a little bit on that. Uh, well, I'd, I'd like to tell you lots of stuff, but you're just going to have to well, go wait. Go ahead. We've got lots of tape you're here. You're just going <laughs> to have to wait. But it's, it's really, it's, uh, as we made our change to global product development three years ago, there are two really large segments in the globe. There's the so B and C class mm -hmm. segments. Absolutely. In our case, uh, it would be, you know them as Corsa and Astra, for example, using the European comparison, or Aveo and Cobalt here. You know, we set sail on globalizing you know, our next generation vehicles for those segments. And the crews will be... Uh, uh, Cruise will be the the, the next generation Chevrolet uh, compact notchback that is sold everywhere in the world, including here. It'll be built here also, and this was the announcement that Rick made uh, last month at the annual meeting. And and Larry, you guys have got the, the Versa and the Sentra now. Those are your small line, but you're you're coming out with the Cube here as well, right? Yeah, which is another B platform vehicle for us. So we'll have the Versa sedan, Versa hatch, and the Cube, all B platform vehicles. Uh, we've got the Sentra and the Rogue, which are both um, C-platform vehicles. Mm -hmm. But um, are you going to go smaller than that, smaller than B? Would you go to an A-size um, car in this well, market? Your question, if I bring it back around, you okay. asked about the family yeah. and what the families will do. When we've looked at a lot of the research we've had, what we've seen is an interesting trend relative to purchase reasons. If you look at strategic vision and some other data sources, if you look at things like performance and fuel economy, in the last couple of years they've swapped. Fuel economy has become more important. As long ago as 2005, but two things have not changed in the data, year after year after years. People carrying capacity and vehicle size. Mm. People still want vehicle size as much in 2008 as they did in 2005. The difference is they want it with better fuel economy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, depending again, my household income equation, if it gets high enough, people will be forced down. You're going to be putting a family into a C-platform vehicle, which might have been in a D-platform. And in that case, to, as John and I were talking earlier, you then have to offer some of the amenities and features and, and capabilities in those smaller vehicles that you now only offer in your larger vehicles. I, and I think, I, I think we think that's going to happen. I mean, it's almost, 
in order for any company in servicing this market to sort of uh, to offer a portfolio that complies with either Reform Cafe or California CO2, um, prices are going to go up, and, and people will be inclined because of this disposable income phenomena mm -hmm. to go smaller. And when they go smaller, they're not going to want to compromise so much. And there's enough heavily armed combatants on the playing field. Uh, who, one among us, at least, will find ways and means of bringing a well-equipped, an adequately equipped small car by historical measures in th in this market. The, uh, they will be very nice. For those of us who know the European market, it's what they've been doing for 10, exactly. 15, 20 years now. Uh, so I, the, the, cruise is, the, the cruise, we think, is coming along at the right time. I, I have to say we're also going to change our, our engine manufacturing footprint because we're going to bring a family of engines, small four-cylinder engines, that we've never, ever built here before uh, that's going to go on the cruise and we'll go on some other things. John said it. Prices are going to go up. You're, you're the product planner. What, what do you see going down the road here? How high are they going to go up in, let's say, the next five years? How high, again, same thing as the discussion we had about oil prices. Six months ago or a year ago, I would have given you a different answer. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you see doubling of steel prices in a little over a year, mm -hmm. I mean, these are unprecedented um, reactions. Or how about Dow's 20 per, two 20% increases in about two weeks' time right. Right. recently? So when we look at these kind of things, just to, to mean any level, sense of level of ability or profitability with these kind of raw materials, and especially the precious metals at the same time, you're going to see prices going up across you know, the world, basically. Uh, on top of that, as we talked about, the cafe and the regulatory impacts are going to also impact our ability to, to be profitable. So I think you're going to see prices go up significantly over the next five years. So buy a car now. Maybe we should go out and tell everybody <laughs> before the prices go up. Well, anyway, uh, Larry, Dominique, and John Smith, thanks so much for coming on AutoLine. It's been great having both of you here. Very interesting to, to gaze into your crystal ball, but even though we're running out of time, stick around, because I still got some more questions here, and we're going to leave these cameras rolling, and we're going to go over to our website now at AutoLineDetroit.tv. But thanks for tuning in for the broadcast version. You know, I thought this was a particularly good discussion about product planning, not just because we got into a bunch of the details on the kinds of cars and powertrains that GM and Nissan are going to come out with, but because it shows just how complicated and risky it is planning for the future. You never know what's really going to happen. You just take a calculated risk and hope that you get it right. And by the way, we've got a lot more of that discussion with John Smith and Larry Dominique in the extra section of our website at www.autolinedetroit.tv. And next week on AutoLine, we'll take a look at Nissan's new North American headquarters in Tennessee. But more importantly, I'll have Carlos Gowen, the CEO of the company, giving me his outlook for the industry. There are a lot of uh, interim solutions, hybrids, plug-in hybrids, you know, even electric car with range extender. Mm -hmm. I mean, but I think what's very important is that you put on the market a car which is zero emission, whatever the way you use it, whatever the way you use it. You do not leave even the possibility for somebody to emit. So join us again next week as we give you a front row seat as to what's going on in the automotive industry. We'll see you then. <laughs>